Well, good morning, church. Welcome in. Good morning online. Thanks for worshiping with us. If you will stand and sing with us, we're glad to have you this morning.
have a seat. Hey, Fellowship. April 4th is Easter Sunday. And as we make plans to worship the risen Christ, um, here's all of the offerings we have coming your way so that we can accommodate as many worshipers as possible on that special Sunday. As is our tradition, we'll have a sunrise service in the West Field on the Rogers campus at 7 a.m. Bring a chair and bring your blanket. Join us for that special time. At 8, 9, 10, and 11 a.m., we'll have services in our worship center. So join Mickey and the crew as we celebrate Christ. We'll offer children's ministry for children up to pre-K during that service. Uh, we'll also live stream the 10 a.m. service for those of you who want to worship from your living rooms. Hey, families, if you want to bring your children and your students, we have a family service at 9, 10, and 11 a.m. out in the West Field. Join me and Houston Clifton and the family ministry team. Bring your own chair and blanket as we uh, celebrate Christ out there. And then Bentonville, we have a special service for you in Bentonville at 10 a.m. at Orchards Park. It's an outdoor service. Bring your chair, bring your blanket. If it rains, we will move that service into our family center here at the Rogers campus, and it'll run at 9, 10, and 11. We're trying to get as many people as possible into a posture of worship on this most holy day for Christians here and around the world. And so make your plans and join us as we worship the risen Christ. Good morning, fellowship. It's spring, finally. Isn't that good news? And in Northwest Arkansas, with spring, we can wear a coat, wear a windbreaker, wear a raincoat, wear a parka, and back to no coat in one week. <laughs> we want to welcome each of you here. And those of you that are online, we welcome you. We need to be together, and it's great to have you with us. If you are new, or if you are visiting, or here for the first time in a long time, you may use this QR code, and it will give you all the information that you will need for this morning. Easter, as you can tell, is coming, and we are planning a celebration, and we want you to celebrate with us. If you are going to be worshiping inside, make sure that you register the time and how many your family will be here. If you are going to celebrate outside, you do not need to reserve a space. Just make sure you bring your chair and I'd bring a blanket. Won't this Easter be even more special for us since we didn't get to celebrate last year? Ah, I'm looking forward to it. We have so much to be thankful for. And one of the things that is just overflowing in my heart is that our kids are back with us. Their inner, oh yes, it's great. Their energy, their excitement is something we all need. And so many of you have stepped in to help us open children's ministry again and the early childhood and the elementary teams. We're so grateful that you have done that. I have two stories to share with you. I have gotten to see lots of happiness. I've seen some tears of joy and these stories. I was told a kindergartner has, has woken up. Is that how you say that? 
Woke up, how about that? Woke up at 5.30 the last two Sunday mornings because he wanted to make sure he was here on time for his service. I also had a story about a fifth grade boy. He was back and he was just, just so happy to be there. And his small group leader said, man, buddy, we are so glad to have you here. Is there anything we need to do to, to make this better for you? And he goes, no, man, it was just totally awesome. But isn't that what we want our kids to feel and experience? They need to know they're a part of this church. And we want them to come and love to be here and fall more in love with Jesus and decide to follow him. My heart is full of thanks. As we prepare ourselves for this morning, would you join me? And let's just begin by thanking God. Oh, Heavenly Father, you're doing so much among us. And we're grateful. Thank you that our kids are back. Thank you that we're back. Thank you that your faithfulness continues. Oh, Jesus, continue to form our hearts. Continue to teach us how to love you more and trust you more. We love you in your precious name. Amen. Stand and worship with us this morning. Sing this. There is no other so sure and steady. My hope is held in your hands. When castles crumble and breath is fleeting upon this rock, I'll stay. our response we sing
this this morning. In all my sorrows, Jesus is better. Make my heart believe. Every victory. In every victory, Jesus is better. Good morning. What a great time of worship we've had so far. And I just want to take a moment and introduce myself. My name is Kyle Jackson, and I'm one of the worship pastors here at our Rogers campus. And what a privilege it is to be in this room singing praises to Jesus this morning. I know over the last year, my soul has needed it. So what a cool just anticipation we have for the church and for the gospel. And all we have to look forward to as I just hear your voices. It's so encouraging to my soul. So just wanna say thank you. Thank you for singing. As we continue in our time of worship this morning, um, we're gonna talk about how God is a holy God. God is a God that's set apart and he has a standard for us to live up to. And that might hit you in a funny place already. And I have good news for you. We have the gospel of Jesus that covers us with our blood, but he does call us to this rhythm of repentance and confession. And I believe it's important to do that as a church. I believe it's important to do that corporately all together so we're not doing this alone. Community is one of the biggest values we have here. So what's gonna happen in this moment is I'm actually gonna ask you to prepare your heart to confess some sin before Jesus. 
And the way that's gonna look is I'm just gonna read this corporate prayer of confession over you. And we're gonna move into a time of worship to sing about a holy God after that. But if you would, just I wanna invite you to posture yourself to do that. Just posture yourself to confess to a God that loves you, knows you, and cares for you. And I'll pray this. Almighty Father, we enter your presence confessing the things we try to conceal from you and the things we try to conceal from others. We confess heartbreak, worry, and sorrow we've caused that make it difficult for others to forgive us. We confess the times we've made it easy for others to do wrong and the harm we have done that makes it hard for us to forgive ourselves. Lord, have mercy and forgive us through Christ. Amen. If you would now just direct your attention to the screen and take in the beautiful truth of Psalm 103. you stand and sing this chorus with us.
might have received this bookmark on the way in, and I wanna just go ahead and invite you to pull this out, if you would. And our design team's done a beautiful job putting this together. As we were processing this service, we were talking about how we wanted our people to have a tangible way to process what the book of Joshua has taught them. So at the top, you see this rundown of the book of Joshua and this overview, and I just wanna go ahead and invite you to just start reading through that and processing that and asking the Holy Spirit, is there anything that sticks out? Is there anything that, that prompts my heart to either say, thank you, Jesus, or God, we praise you because of this truth? And at the bottom of this bookmark we have here, three reflection questions. And the first one is, what has the book of Joshua taught you about God? What has the book of Joshua taught you about humankind? And how has the book of Joshua encouraged you to live differently? So throughout this moment of worship, I wanna invite you to stay standing. I wanna invite you to take a seat if you need to, however you need to get comfortable, just to process, just to have the space away from the noise, away from the distraction to process over this last few weeks as we've dove in deep into this book. So I wanna give you that opportunity as we begin to sing this next song. Just do whatever you feel like you need to do in this moment, whether you're standing or seating, and we'll continue to worship.
next truth we're going to sing has become my favorite truth from the book of Joshua. Jesus is our anchor. grateful for that truth, Lord, that you are our anchor. Lord, as we sing about your faithfulness, would that truth not just run past us? Lord, when we hear the reality of your faithfulness, Lord, that you're there no matter what, you love us and you're not going anywhere. So God, we're grateful for you. Help us not to leave this room changed. Let's settle with who we are. Help us to be a changed person walk out of these doors. God, we love you, praise you, and pray these things in your name, amen. Well, a story is only as, as good as its last chapter. And when it comes to finishing things, I'll be the first to tell you that I am terrible at finishing things. If you've been to my house at any point in the last six months, there's about 20 projects that look like this. This is my pantry. And you're probably going, well, building supplies are really hard to get right now. So I understand. No, no, no. The door has been sitting there for three months, 10 feet away. And I just come home and I'm like, I'm going to do something else today because I don't want to finish it. Love starting projects. Just not good at finishing them. Same with books. I love to buy books. I just hate to read them. And so I'll buy all of these books, read like one or two chapters, get a few nuggets of wisdom, be like, okay, what's next? And it's really hard for me to finish. But I know the value of a good finish. 
And I was watching, a doc, I love documentaries. I was watching a documentary with my wife. Um, this would have been a couple of weeks ago. And it was about a basketball team for the 2019 through 2020 season. And I just felt terrible the whole time as you're watching it unfold because Alex and I knew how that was going to end. We know what happens in March of 2020. Like, we can see it coming, but they can't. And I'm just going, oh, this is going to be a terrible ending. And it was really, really tough. Now, when it comes to the book of Joshua, it comes to an end, and today we are going to end it. It is literally my job to walk us through these last two chapters. We're gonna end this thing, and in a lot of ways, you look at Joshua in the ending, 23 and 24, which is where we'll be, and it kind of ends pretty awesome. One of the best endings in a book of the Bible, specifically the Old Testament, at first glance. And we're actually gonna see that Joshua sets up Uh, his farewell speech, and he gives some great instructions, but there's one major failure that we as the church today want to make sure that we avoid. And so we're gonna be looking at that this morning. Uh, As we close the series, here's just a simple reminder. It's also on your card, expanded a little bit, but this is the outline of Joshua. God has promised this land to his people, and so they've entered it, they've conquered it, and now they are possessing it. And we're gonna see these last two chapters that Joshua gets old, time moves on a little bit, now they're in this land, and so what happens next? This is his farewell speech. And in a lot of ways, it mirrors the end of Deuteronomy as Moses gives a farewell speech as he's ending his reign as the leader of Israel, of God's people, and he's about to die and passes things off to Joshua. But here we're gonna see that it ends a bit differently. And there's two major things that set up the the setting for where we're at in chapter 23. And so the first one is that the Lord has given rest to Israel, especially from their surrounding enemies. So they've actually gotten into the land, they have rest from the enemies around them. And the second is that Joshua is old and well advanced in years. So this tells us that some time has passed and the people are now settled. And by the way, I'll be back up this summer to talk more about this idea of rest, uh, specifically as we go through the book of Hebrews which is gonna show us why this rest doesn't fully satisfy. Uh, I love the book of Hebrews. We're gonna be spending the whole summer in it. But today we wanna focus in on what is Joshua commanding these people as he's ending his time on earth. And as a national figure, his farewell address is not just to his immediate family. It's to the whole people of God through the elders, the leaders of each tribe. And so he's gonna remind them of a couple of things, but the basis is that God's covenant faithfulness The faithfulness of our God is what drives us to these things that I'm about to tell you. And the first thing that I wanna remind you of, the people of Israel, is to be set apart. Y'all probably are familiar with the term to be holy, to be set apart. Uh, We actually don't see the word holiness in these two chapters of Joshua, but we see the concept everywhere as he's re-emphasizing that as God's people, we are to be set apart. And he gives them a, a couple of examples on how They can do that. The first is through obedience, to do all that is written in the book of the law. And it's a reminder that the people around you, Israelites, do not hold the same worldview as you. They're not looking at the world through the same lens that you are. And so don't forget that you should obey the things that God has commanded you as his people. That's gonna help set you apart. And there also needs to be some distinction between you, right? You may not mix with these nations, We see here that he reemphasizes, don't mention the names of their gods. Obviously, don't bow down to them. 
Other spots we see not to intermarry with them. So there's this physical separation that needs to happen between God's people and these nations that they hadn't fully driven out yet. And then third, and most importantly, that the way you are a holy and set-apart people is by clinging to God. So often we think of holiness as not doing this thing or not doing that. Like, that person is so holy because they don't fill in the blank, right? But Joshua says, no, holiness and being set apart has a source, and that source is clinging to the Lord your God. The first two without clinging to God just lead to a life of legalism. It's not fun. It's not fulfilling unless you have that relationship with the Lord your God, which is fueling all of it. And as we consider Joshua's charge for the people to be set apart, we gotta acknowledge in this idea of holiness that holiness in the Old Testament and holiness in the New Testament are slightly different things. For instance, here's two passages, one from Old Testament, one from New Testament, that kind of hint at this idea of holiness and really speak on it. Exodus 19, this command to Israel, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now, very similar wording that Peter uses to describe the church in the New Testament where he says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Now, in the Old Testament, though, we gotta understand context that God was establishing an actual physical nation. And so the need for physical holiness separation was there greatly. But what about today? New Testament times, post-Jesus, where we are not one nation of believers, that believers are throughout the world and we are one church, the body of Christ. What does it look like to live in a broken world as believers who are called to be set apart and holy? I was asked a question one time that really made me ponder this concept, and it came from this man right here. You guys know him? Oh, Mickey Rapier. Uh, you know, I thought about trying to find an older picture of Mickey where he had a mullet, but I couldn't find, oh, yes, I could. There it is, right there. So, but I'm sweating, so we're gonna get that off the screen real quick. I love this guy, okay? I do. But there was a day, I'd say 24-hour period, it may have lasted a little longer, where I despised him, where I did not like him at all. And guess what? I have never told him this. So I don't know if he's in here or not or watching on live stream, but this will be the first time that he hears this. And so I was uh, sitting in a worship service in this room right over here. And as a pastor, you don't get to go to church very often. Okay, there's always some responsibility on Sunday morning, but I hadn't been to a service with my wife in like three months and I was so excited. And so we walk in together, 9.30 service, 1,200 people, like people on the walls and I'm sitting there and we're worshiping and it's awesome. And then Mickey gets up to teach. And he starts walking down the stairs. And in my head, I'm going, no, 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 no. No, don't do this. Why are you walking towards me? And we make eye contact. I'm like, oh my gosh, I start sweating. And he goes, Hunter, stand up. Unprompted in front of everybody. And he asked me a theological question that I did not know how to answer. And I hate being put on the spot. I hate it. But here's what he asked me. Are you a tolerant or intolerant person as a Christian. This is Mickey Rapier to me in front of 1,200 people on the Sunday I just wanted to worship Jesus with my wife. <laughs> and I don't even fully remember how I answered it except like, I don't know, Mickey, may I please sit down or something like that? 
Um, and I honestly don't remember anything else that he talked about because I was so angry. And by the way, Mickey's my guy, all right? We, we've made up. Mickey, I forgive you for your trespasses against me. It's okay. <laughs> Just don't do it to me again. I don't remember much of that, but I have always remembered this question because not only did I not know how to answer it in front of people on the spot, I don't know if I know how to answer it today. What do I tolerate in this world? What do I allow to pass because I know I live in a broken world as a believer and I still want influence? Like, what does that look like for Christians in 2021? I tend to think of it on kind of this sliding scale of there's really two ways that we can go wrong when we're talking about living in a broken world as a set-apart people. And on one side, you have isolation, okay? This is where cults come from where you just surround yourselves by the people and news stations that only think and breathe the same things you do and you get so isolated that you lose sight of the Great Commission and forget that you actually are living to have influence in this world for Christ. And it's this desire to almost protect this perfect little image and family. And on the other side, Christians, and we see this just as often, if not more often, assimilating fully into culture where honestly people wouldn't be able to tell the difference between you and someone who's never heard the name of Jesus. And when you start heading down this route, you end up walking away from your faith probably five years before you ever even realize it. And you fall in love with the world. Now, we don't wanna be in either of these, right? Neither of these are good. It's not choice A or choice B. So how do we live somewhere in the middle here where, yeah, we wanna be set apart as God's people, but embedded in this world to bring the good news of the joy, hope, satisfaction that he has brought us. And I think this is one of the things that sets this New Testament holiness apart from the Old Testament, and it's this. Here's what we have. The Holy Spirit working through biblical community in a healthy church. The Holy Spirit working in us to refine each other, to ask hard questions to each other, to partner with each other, to go love and serve the world and enter our workplaces on mission because of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. It's a great gift. I experienced it in prepping for this teaching. I was sitting at Airship in Bentonville with Danny Sullivan, because you know, us as millennials, we think you can only read the Bible in a coffee shop, right? And if it's really holy, you put it on Instagram. And so we're, we're sitting there and we're processing through this. That's sarcasm, by the way. We're processing through this and he's like pointing things out and saying, dude, I think you're missing this in this passage. I'm like, dude, thank you. I, I probably wouldn't have seen that. And like even in a prepping for a teaching, I'm being refined by the men and women around me as we study God's word together. And that's how we avoid these two ditches, by allowing the Holy Spirit to work in and through us. And so let's not get it twisted of what it means to be set apart today, 2021, as believers. It's not isolation. That is the quickest way to lose sight of the Great Commission and what God has called us to. Because a lot of times in our attempt to try to find this perfect family or this perfect image, this perfect life, we forget the perfect Christ that we're actually following. Because following Jesus doesn't actually lead to a perfect life on this earth, but following a perfect Jesus does lead to life. And so holiness and separation, being set apart, has less to do with physical things and more to do with our heart devotion. Are our eyes fixed on Jesus? It doesn't mean that all of you should quit your jobs and come work at the church, right? Most of you wouldn't like it, okay? It's not necessarily that glorious. That's not what, what Joshua's hitting at. That's not what we see in scripture. 
we see something very different where we are called to be embedded somewhere in the middle with our eyes focused on Jesus living in a broken world as salt and light per his words. Now, back in Joshua, after he reminds the people of the, the necessity to be holy and set apart, he reminds them of two very important reasons why. This kind of fuels this whole teaching, honestly. This is the why God is asking us to be set apart. One, it's because of his faithfulness, that we can follow him and be set apart because of what he's already proven about himself, and it's that not one word that he has ever said has failed. Think about that. Not one thing. All has come to pass. I'm reading in Deuteronomy in my own study right now of scripture, and it's so intriguing and interesting to watch God say something and then it happened. I will give you this land. So they go there and he gives them the land. I will drive out these enemies. So they go there, he drives out the enemies every single time. And in fact, in between these two things, the, the first 13 verses or 12 verses of Joshua 24, Joshua goes in and just reminds them all of these instances of the Red Sea of Abraham, of you name it, all the patriarchs to Moses to getting all of these people out of Egypt to this promised land. I have been faithful over and over and over again says the Lord, which leads us to the second big why. Why do we wanna be set apart? Well, we gotta remember that everything we have to begin with is God's doing, everything. If, Joshua, if anyone could take credit for getting the people to the promised land, it would be who? It'd be Joshua, right? But even he is reminding the people that this is what the Lord says. I gave you this land that you haven't labored to get. You didn't build these cities. You didn't plant those trees. You didn't plant the vineyards here, you're reaping all of this because of who I am. And he reminds them that it is God's faithfulness, it is God's ability to come through on everything he says and what he has done in our lives that pushes us to be set apart. And that leads us to the second big thing. This is basically all of chapter 24 that Joshua is reminding the people of, and that is to, that they should serve the Lord. Serve the Lord. And he's gonna break down a couple of uh, ways that they can do that. First, by fearing the Lord, that, that reverent awe of knowing who he is and knowing who we are in light of who he is. That we serve him in sincerity and faithfulness and also that we put away the other gods. These people are living in a nation specifically where there's other gods everywhere. And he's saying, don't turn back to those. Those are fake. Turn to Yahweh. So with serving comes throwing away idols, fixing our eyes on Jesus. And I guarantee you that for us today especially, if our priority every morning is not to serve the Lord and to throw away the things that are drawing our affection from him, then we've already taken steps in this assimilation process before we ever even know it. So what does it mean to serve the Lord? I think it's easy to go, well, that means I serve on Sunday mornings with children or I sign up to be a cell leader, or I serve on the worship team, and all those things are awesome ways that we give back to the Lord and that we pour out, but this whole concept of serving the Lord goes much deeper than that. So quick word study. Uh, this is the Hebrew word abad or abad, and it means to serve or to work. And by the way, if you ever wanna go a little deeper into Bible study, you don't have to buy all these commentaries or software programs. There's this website called blueletterbible.org. I use it every week in teaching prep, and it's easy, and it's, it's where I found a lot of the information for, for this word. But this word that's translated where we see it in Joshua 24, to serve, is mentioned 16 times in this chapter alone. That's a lot, 
right? If you see something that many times, you wanna take note of what it actually means. But a deeper study reveals that, that God uses this word in scripture even back in Genesis where he puts Adam and Eve in the garden and he says that they are there to abide the ground, to work the ground, to put their efforts into the ground. But then we see when the Israelites are trapped in Egypt that their abad has now been redirected to Pharaoh and they're having to serve with everything they have to do whatever Pharaoh says. And when God sends Moses, he tells them like, I want you to quit abiding, I want you to quit serving Pharaoh and I want you to serve Yahweh, the true God. And then you go all the way to Joshua and we see this outright cry where Joshua is saying, live a life of devotion, of worship. That's what it means to actually serve the Lord. When you abide the Lord, you experience freedom through awe, through relationship. When you abide the the world, you experience slavery to things that will ultimately not satisfy and ultimately will fade. Serving the Lord is not an occupation. It's a heart posture. It's a lifestyle. Uh, Mark Schatzman will be up here in a few weeks to actually give us a biblical study of work and how we can actually serve the Lord in our workplaces. But it's less about the specific job and more about the heart. For instance, did you know you don't have to work at a church to serve the Lord? In fact, you can work at a church and not be serving the Lord. And we see it all the time, unfortunately. It's not about what we do, it's about how we do it and where our eyes are fixed. As I was uh, meeting with Danny, he said something that really stood out to me. He said, we cannot live our day in God's will without God. And I'm like, well, that's simple, but yet also profound. How are we gonna go through our day and claim the things of Jesus, but actually give him no time and not invite him in from the beginning? And so if you're wondering, how do I even know if I'm serving the Lord in my job, in my life, with my family? I don't want this to be legalistic, but I wanna give you just a simple way to measure right now in your life. That's just examine the first 15 to 30 minutes of your day, okay? As you wake up, where does your heart go? Where does your mind go? What do you run towards? And if it's not inviting Jesus in to lead you through all that, you might just wanna re-examine how devoted are you to following him in every aspect of your day? Because I guarantee you, it may not just happen naturally, right? You may come to a situation where you're gonna be in a much better situation being filled with the Holy Spirit because you've invited Christ into your day from the beginning. So it's something that my family and I try to um, examine quite often, but we can't live our day in God's will without God. Now back in the text, Joshua finishes off this idea of serving the Lord with a couple more things. He says, it is a choice. We are all going to serve something in life and you need to choose, Israelites, whom you will serve. You wanna choose the God of the Amorites? Go for it, good luck with that, that won't pan out. But you are going to have to make the choice. And then he says, the famous verse, if you grew up in Church of Christ, you probably have sung this a lot, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, with the last name house, I could have a lot of pun with this this morning, but I'm not gonna go there, okay? As adults, as parents, as teachers, as mentors, as bosses, as coaches, whatever. It is one thing to teach faithfulness and it is another thing to live it out as an example. And that's what Joshua's doing here. He's saying, hey, if you wanna know what it looks like to choose the Lord, watch me and my family. We're gonna give our lives to know Yahweh. We're gonna give everything we have to him. 
And I think it's really important for us as the church to be setting examples for those coming behind us so that they can know the Lord, so that they can experience him and pass that on. We all have people probably that have gone before us and been influences for our faith. My parents would be one. The, the men and women who've done this job before me would be one. Here's a picture of some of them, right? I love these pictures. You got Matt Archer, Carrie Archer, Murray, Brian Pope, Wendy Hall, Derek Horn. See the frat boy over there, Sam Hannon, hiding on the left side. This was the FSM team years ago. And I benefit not just from the systems that they set up with cell group and all that, but because of their faithful pursuit of God. That they loved the Lord so much that they wanted all of these young men and women. Some of you who are probably sitting in here were in ministry in FSM when they were on staff. And they gave their lives for, for God and his faithfulness and it fueled their faithfulness. And so maybe you're a teacher or a stay-at-home parent in the business world, a mechanic, a musician, in the hospitality world, whatever, it doesn't matter. There is someone coming behind you who could benefit from watching you live a faithful life of devotion to the Lord, and you get to invite them into that. Now, the book of Joshua moves to close, and it kind of closes pretty quick. After he gives these commands and his farewell speeches, 23 and 24, we see that Joshua dies, and Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua. I love this verse. You talk about a clean ending to a book, like this is the most faithful generation probably in history of the people of God. So that's the end, right? Roll the credits. Pop the champagne. We got spring break to get to, right? We got a hogs game to watch tonight. Let's, let's move this along. This, this is a great way to end, correct? And I would say yes, but unfortunately, it doesn't end this way. We talked about that a story is only as good as its last chapter. Well, the last chapter of Joshua is not actually Joshua 24. Don't go look. You'll realize I'm a liar, okay? What I mean is you have to go look a couple of chapters later in Judges chapter two to see how these people really ended. You know, at first glance, you go, well, I think they've done really well. Did they stay holy and set apart as God told them to? Seems like it. Did they serve him all the days of their life? Seems like it. It says it literally right there. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and the elders who were after him, and they finished strong. So what did they miss? What was the massive failure that we see in Judges chapter two? It was a forgotten faithfulness that didn't pass on to the next generation. Look at this. Joshua dies, the elders die, and the very next generation, there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work he had done for Israel. They didn't even know Yahweh, his name. Didn't know any of the things that he had just done to get them to that promised land, which blows my mind, because do y'all remember everything we've studied in Joshua, all the memorial stones that were set up as reminders of God's faithfulness? It's like, what in the world happened to go from a generation of faithfulness to a lost generation, forgotten faithfulness of God? Your guess is as good as mine, okay? Uh, I've done a little study, and as I've processed through, I, there's really only one thing that I can think of, and I think the people just rested too much in the faithfulness of what God provided them, right? You think about all the promises that had been made that I will give you land. They're like, check, we got it. I will make you a great nation. Sweet, we are the nation. We're here. 
right? I will give you rest from your enemies. We just saw that they had been given that. And I just think they forgot to share that and emphasize that this is not the end. Yes, this nation is great, but this is not the end. There has to be something bigger. And I think it's just a reminder, even to us today, that the absence of work is not the fulfillment of rest, the fulfillment of our lives. It's the presence of Jesus that is. That's why people can't retire. We don't even use the word retire around fellowship. It's redeploy, because we obviously don't want just a bunch of people getting older and then not doing anything with their lives. We haven't been called to do that. We've been called, we've been called to pour back into the next generation, and I see so many men and women doing that so well here at fellowship. But Joshua's emphasis in 23 and 24 missed a little bit. And I think he was trying to emphasize, like, let's finish strong. This is not the end. Don't just do enough to get into the land. God has already delivered that. Let's, let's pass this on. I think about it for me. This is how I did college, okay, if I'm being really honest. I have a degree in math, and every test in every class was just a game. It was just, I'm gonna ace this thing, and I will win. And when you go into school like that, you don't actually learn anything. And so I stand here today, if you ask me any math question outside of basic algebra, I wouldn't be able to answer it, even though I graduated with a degree. And God's emphasis to the Israelites and even to us today is don't just do enough to get there. It's not what I've called you to do. There's something bigger that I have in store for you. And so my big reminder to us this morning is that God's faithfulness does not end with us. It just doesn't. And when we think that our lives end on this earth and that that's the end goal, man, we miss because God's story is not one of just a bunch of little disconnected story. His story is about him and we just get to be a part of it. And so everything we do should be living for that ultimate story in everything that we do. It's a, it's a harsh reminder that our obscurity on this earth is inevitable. It is, but God's is not. And God's faithfulness is a double-edged sword in that he is faithful to follow through on the promises that he gives us, and he is also faithful to follow through on the judgment that sin requires. But praise be to God that we get to hide ourselves in the righteousness of Christ, and we don't have to worry about that because he went to the cross on our behalf. And it's those moments of realization when we remember everything we're doing in life is because of God that we're fueled to share God's faithfulness with the next generation. So how do we avoid a Judges 2.10? I don't wanna oversimplify it, but I think one of the best things we can do is to invest in the future of the church. Jonathan Pakluda is a guy I really respect. He's a younger pastor in um, Texas, and he says this in uh, one of his latest books. If we don't invest in the future of the church, our church has no future. It's really simple. People say things very eloquently. That's really simple. If we don't invest in the future of the church, if we don't disciple, if we don't pour our faith into the, the faith of those coming in and teach them about who God is and his faithfulness, then what are we doing? What are we striving towards? I think we as a church actually do this pretty well. I think God has gifted us with men and women sitting in here today who actually have a heart for pouring out. And that doesn't just mean, again, children's ministry or student ministry. Our elders every year give us some parameters that they want us to really pursue as we're planning for the next ministry year. And one of the biggest ones they gave us this year was discipleship. 
this sage next generation. And by the way, you're probably a sage no matter what age you are. As a student pastor, I am so old to those kids at 32. They look at me as a sage, right? But I need the men and women in my life who are a little further along. And I've been encouraged by so many of them. My Tuesday mornings with Jack C. and Dick Nervig changed my life because of the way that those guys pour into me. And so there are thousands of ways we can do that, right? Thousands. And we see it happening. And I get so excited for things on the horizon of fellowship, like the Bentonville campus in timing with all the business growth that's happening here in Northwest Arkansas. I can't wait to go there and be a part of that and watch God bring all of these young professionals from coast to coast here to our backyard for us to be able to change the kingdom of God right here where we're at as men and women pour into the next generation, we're gonna see life change happen. Now, I wanna leave us with three questions for you to ponder, okay? Uh, you might take a picture of these or write them down real quick if you want to, but uh, each, each question kind of aligns with one of the points we covered. So in this idea of being set apart, I want you to ask yourself, where has compromise contaminated my character? Uh, a fall into assimilation usually isn't just a stark fall, it's Compromise after compromise after compromise. And so you might just ask yourself and share with a men's group, a women's group, a spouse, a parent, hey, here's, here's a way I think compromise in my life is contaminating my character. The second, this idea of serving the Lord, ask yourself, where is my source of hope and direction each day? Where do I actually get the fuel for going into my day, into my workplace, into my school, whatever it may be? Is it from the Lord or is it in order to attain something in this earth. And then the third one, to avoid Judges 2, how am I passing on stories of God's faithfulness every single day, every single week, in small conversations, in big conversations, in little moments, in discipleship relationships, whatever it looks like? What am I doing to take what God has given me and pass that on? We talk a lot about faithfulness, especially in this uh, sermon series on Joshua. We've seen it so much. And uh, this past Wednesday night, I was in here with over 500 junior high and high school students. It was awesome. It's the first time we've gotten to gather together like that in over a year, and they were so eager for community and to worship the Lord. And as we were ending, Houston Clifton, our worship leader and a friend of mine, was standing up here, and he said something that struck me. And he was talking about how, you know, when you say a word too many times, a lot of times you forget the meaning. And he said that has happened to him in this series with faithfulness. God is faithful. God's faithfulness, faithfulness, faithfulness. It's like, what does that even mean? Like you hear it so many times. And I just wanna remind you, it's super simple. The simplicity of God's faithfulness is that he does not fail. What he says will happen. The promises he gives will happen. And we can trust him. Every single day we can trust him. And in a world where you can't trust hardly anything, it is good to know that we have a God that we can trust with our so if y'all stand with me, yes, we've got these three questions that I think are good for us to ponder as we go, but the best thing that we can do every time when we leave an assembly is fix our eyes on Jesus. The fuel for how we answer this is whether or not our eyes are set on God and his faithfulness. And so we're gonna, we're gonna sing a song. It's one of my favorite songs about God's faithfulness. And we're gonna sing that together. So let me pray for us. God, you are good and you are faithful. Man, and we love you because you've given us things that a life that we do not deserve, that we can never earn on our own. Thank you for your covenant faithfulness and how it fuels us
to want to give our lives to you in service. We love you, Lord. Father of kindness, you have poured out grace. You brought me out of darkness. You filled me
And as we prepare our hearts to leave this place, I wanna sing just one more chorus with you just to echo what Hunter was saying about generational discipleship, that this would be our story as we go to tell people, to tell those around us, to tell our family, to tell the ones we love, to tell our communities that Jesus is King, he's Lord. So would you join me, church, and let's sing this as loud as we can. Let's sing, this is my story, this is my song. This is my story. church. Thank you for coming this morning. Thanks for joining us online. If you want prayer this morning, we do have prayer in the prayer room for you. If not, go in peace. We'll see you next week, church.